Mr. Callipson, good to see you. Mr. Mipagala. Is that how you pronounce your last name? Uh, Mipagala. Mipagala. Yeah. I realize I never have, I'd never have said your last name. Yeah. No reason to. Yeah. Uh, so you're in New York right now, right? I'm in Pennsylvania. Oh, Pennsylvania. That's where right, I grew right. up. Yeah. yeah. So just back in my parents' house, I fly back to LA in a few days. And cool. um, yeah, then pretty much start right back with everything in the new year. So cool. Uh, yeah. I don't know if I, I should have told you. I don't use the video for these anymore. So I don't know if you if you did your oh, hair. Oh, okay. This is only audio. Yeah, yeah. But but oh, let, okay. let let all the listeners know that James looks very dashing right now. <laughs> <laughs> I'm in my pajamas. <laughs> <laughs> that is good to know. Uh, it's good to know now because I yeah I was like I was also in my pajamas. I'm like oh fuck I'm gonna be on Ruan's podcast. I have to look somewhat presentable. <laughs> I'm glad I showered this morning. Um, I should have told you. I've I've been at my parents' house on yeah just on Christmas holiday for the past week and a half, unwinding, stepping away from everything, and actually relaxing. So cool. That's been really nice. Um, yeah, yeah. So last time I saw you was right before COVID, maybe maybe like four months before like the pandemic really hit the world. And I don't remember if I had made my decision yet, but. I remember speaking about like, I was thinking about going to Pacifica to get my PhD in Mm -hmm. something Jungian related. We talked Mm -hmm. about it. You were thinking about it too. And I'm really curious to speak with you now, given Mm -hmm. that you've been in that program for over a year, because you've kind of gone on the the path I didn't travel. So of course, I'm just just curious. I'm also, of course, curious about like the actual content of what you learned, but uh, in general, like how has it been? What have you been, what have you been doing? It's been amazing. Totally life-changing. Have you, what, what program were you going to do? Do you remember? I don't, uh, honestly, don't remember. I think it was something I'm sure the, I mean, I was really obsessed with that concept of archetypes. So Mm -hmm. I think one of the descriptions had something about archetypes and I think I was going to like minor in mythology or something. And I don't remember if that's how the programs are structured. Yeah, they have, yeah, there's Jungian studies, there's archetypes. Maybe it's Jungian and archetypal studies. They have a few programs that are all focused on different things. I think there's one that emphasizes mythology mm-hmm. specifically. Um, but yeah, what what was your what was your decision like? Like as you were deciding whether or not to do that. You know, I was thinking. I was just thinking about like uh, in the last hour of like this this point because I made the decision kind of quickly. Um, if I'm honest, the biggest factor was like, it's a lot of money and a lot of time. It's like, I mean, I'd imagine it's like basically another full-time job, not to mention the tuition fees. And like, I think I can get maybe some useful percentage of what I want to get out of it for free from reading the books. Mm-hmm. Um, and it just seemed hard to justify uh, is the time and the money too. But I did mm-hmm. think a lot, I mean, lifestyle is, you know, had I gone that route, I kind of decided I was going to move to Ventura because it's like a short commute to Santa Barbara. Mm. Um, I was even thinking back, like it was kind of a decision between women I was seeing. Like had I been on the West Coast, I would have dated one so- one person. I came back to Asia, dated someone else. I- I'm glad everything worked out because I'm with uh-huh. uh, my lovely wife now. Um, yeah. So who cares? But it was just very interesting. I was like, man, I-, I kind of made a major life decision basically like that week that I, I caught up with you in L.A. Wow. Yeah. And I think, was I in the program at that point already? There was before COVID. Was it, did I talk to you for a podcast that I wanted to do? 
I think that's uh, what it was. Well, I, I was on your sh- on your podcast. Yeah. Um, but when we met in LA, I don't. You weren't in the program yet. Like I brought it up right. to you, and you're like, "Oh yeah, I was thinking about that." And I guess you must right. have signed up. Right. Yeah, time. you were actually that conversation. That was actually something that really stuck with me, just because I think that was the first time we met in person and just had a and had a conversation. And I think oh, really? I was I was starting to. I I was really taking the leap for myself and I was like, I'm going to do the coaching thing. I'm really going to do this like men's personal development platform that I want to do. And that's when I reached out to you and that's when we connected. And then we had that conversation. And at some point later, that's when I made the decision to go to grad school. Um, but yeah, man, it's been incredible. It's been a really, it's been a really incredible experience for me. Um, the program that I'm in, just for people listening for clarity, I'm in a clinical program, which means I'm gonna. It, it's basically a certification. I'll get a master's degree. I'll be, I'll be, I'll be certified to be a marriage and family therapist. I think the ones that you were looking at, because Pacifica offers non-clinical degrees, so. I th- maybe the ones that you were looking at were not clinical degrees. I know they have Jungian ones that are not. Okay. Clinical. You know, I actually um, thought all of their programs were based in Jung. So you're not actually really studying Jung's work specifically. No, we are. It's a, it's um it's a clinical program, but it's a specialization in depth psychology. So it's all kind of mixed right. in Jung's work, Joseph Campbell, um, a lot of Eastern stuff eastern spirituality is we've we've dabbled in in some of our earlier coursework um at this point now it's really just all of the all of the stuff that the state of california requires for master students to get licensed so like family systems child psychology addiction substance use disorder like all the technical stuff um that's been the majority of my coursework but i do have a couple I do have some archetypal studies courses coming up this year. Um, I'm, I'm curious with like Campbell and Jung, because something that I think someone can't get from just reading their, their literature mm-hmm. is how to apply those concepts to working with someone. Like I've, I've done what I, you know, I've made my attempts, you know, reading Jung and creating courses and bringing mm-hmm. it into coaching but I'm curious, like how they teach that or like, what is the, the, cause it's going from abstraction to practicality. Yeah. Yeah. That's a good question because how would I describe it? Uh, honestly, a lot of what we've learned so far is just the fundamental basics of, of, of have building a therapeutic container with someone. And so a lot of the Jungian and mythological stuff, dream work, all the stuff that that those guys are known for in their contributions, that's a little bit more, it's a little bit more advanced at this, at this stage. We haven't learned a whole lot. I think as far as the coursework and as far as how that's like wrapped up in our training, I think first of all, it it's it's a it's a smaller piece of of a larger puzzle that Pacifica tries to present or like maybe just maybe that's not the best metaphor like a uh, maybe just one brick in the kind of foundation of being a clinician that Pacifica wants to prepare people as which is 
a clinician that focuses on the total human being as opposed to just like a patient from like a medical model approach. That's kind of how our, 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 our health system functions. We work on diagnoses and um, putting people into boxes and labels. This is what's wrong with you. Here's the solution. Let's fix you and let's get on to the next person. Instead of that medical model route, it's a more holistic human approach where it's not really about the diagnosis. It's about connecting with the human that's in front of you. And so like Jung in the mythology, like that's all very related to that aspect because you're talking about your, your understanding. I mean, there, there's one perspective, for example, that psychopathology, um, a way of looking at psychopathology is a way that the unconscious expresses itself. And so instead of looking at something like bipolar disorder or schizophrenia or something that's like, that's, you can find in the DSM five, instead of just coming at it with a, this is a disorder. We need to fix this. Let's give you medication or let's, let's treat you differently than we would someone who's coming to therapy because they want to, you know, get their money figured out or their, their sex life figured out. Let's treat you differently um, than someone like that. It's, it's almost, it's almost in a way, it's like a more egalitarian approach in the sense that everything that's coming up for anybody is just a manifestation of their unconscious expressing itself in some way. And maybe like, uh, you know, another way to look at it is from like the mythological perspective of that, you know, someone's, you know, what is the meaning behind it? And is this is, what is the meaning in the psychopathology, for example? I don't know if, I don't know if that makes sense. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, Actually, uh, it's making me think of an article I read by James Hillman, who uh, maybe you're, you've been reading at school um, where he was, and it was really long. And honestly, I didn't, I, I kind of skimmed through it, but what I got from it was he was saying how almost all like our culture's assumptions about the mind comes from Freud. And like some of the things you're talking about of like the clinical take isn't, even though, even though modern psychologists might I agree or disagree with Freud, we, we've kind mm-hmm. of all been incepted by his style of thinking which Hellman argued was incepted by monotheism because even though Freud wasn't religious, he grew up in a monotheistic culture. So Mm -hmm. his theory of the of consciousness is kind of like the Holy Trinity, even Mm -hmm. though he didn't mean to. Whereas Mm -hmm. one of Jung's contributions is that he went uh, backwards in culture and tapped into the pagan view of reality where Mm -hmm. we have something like archetypes where there isn't just like a single God, the father and son. Mm -hmm. Uh, There's just like a collection of forces and Mm -hmm. what you're describing, you know, it's, it sounds I mean, it's, it's hitting a few layers of like how we all view the mind or we all view mental health. Cause even like these new mental health apps that pop up kind of take the approach that you're, you know, I guess Pacifica criticizes, like, here's yeah. a problem. You got to fix it. Um, versus like, there might actually be something else like BPD might not have to have that label. It might be a totally different thing that needs, that could be redirected or, or even useful. Yeah. Yeah. There's a lot of, I mean, and, you know, one of the things, the thing about being a Pacifica is that we're, it's, it's definitely a bubble and everybody knows, everybody at Pacifica knows that it's kind of a fringe, the, the program and just the whole kind of aura at Pacifica, the mentality is a very fringe perspective when, when 
when compared to mainstream Western mental health culture, so to speak. And so it's interesting to have these conversations with, with people who are really like-minded and really also have been doing this and studying this stuff for their whole career. And I think that's one of the biggest things that I've gotten from this program, just being in an environment where I'm surrounded by like-minded people who, I mean, like my professors who obviously have training, but they also have experience of being a therapist for 20 years, applying this kind of stuff in their practice. And I think, I think about our conversations a lot because what I'm really starting to appreciate about therapy is through this experience at Pacifica is that how it's really like in its, I think in its highest form is like the perfect blend of art and science. It's very much a scientific, it it can be very rooted in science and a scientific approach to things. But when you start talking about the Hillman stuff and the creative element that Jung taps into, like this really spiritual, deep part of what it means to be human and what it means to help people figure out what the meaning of their life is. It's a very artistic, that's, that's a very artistic thing. And it's, it's really dependent on even things like what kind of people that someone wants to focus on helping. Like you and I are really interested in working with men and men's issues. And in the field of mental health, there's, there's an infinite number of subgenres, if you will, or, or just groups of mm-hmm. populations of people who struggle with different things. This is a huge tangent from what we were talking about Hellman. Um, I forget how I got on that. That's fine. But, All tangents are the new path. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, Hellman, Freud, you, you mentioned Freud and Hellman. It's yeah, it's, it's very interesting like, because Freud, like, the, the, and this is something that I heard Jordan Peterson say when he was talking about Freud once, and it's kind of stuck with me ever since. It's like, Everything that Freud, like Freud really contributed so much to this field of psychoanalysis and just the idea of taking the unconscious seriously, that it's kind of absorbed itself. Like it's, it's so taken for granted now that a lot of what people focus on are like, oh, he was sexist or he had all these backwards views about sexuality, which, yeah, those are all true. But Freud really, he he really was the first one to put this field on a map. And the interesting thing about Hillman is that one of the things that I'm learning about the field of like Jungian studies is that even in post Jungian thought, there's a lot of diversity of viewpoints and Hillman is kind of a, he's kind of a rebellious figure and he's kind of a polarizing figure in terms of, scholars who studied Jung and who did, who furthered his work and his perspectives um, because he's so polytheistic and he's so the word deconstructionist has been used to describe him because he really, one of the things that he emphasizes, which kind of goes against, I guess is kind of a, a, a foil to Jung's emphasis on wholeness and unity and integration into oneness 
Hillman was basically like, fuck that focus on focus on the many within the individual and honoring the individual parts that constitute the many. Um, and he had an interesting way of, of doing all that, but no, I feel like, no, no, no. It's like, actually, cause like, like the name James Hillman is just a name I've read on papers. Like I actually know nothing about the person. And mm-hmm. I, I think you're touching on something that's important. It's like when it comes to thinkers whose ideas have kind of gone on their own to affect people in ways that maybe they're not even aware of, like, oh, I'm thinking because Freud said this in 1920 or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, it's important to know about the person who's thinking. Like Freud, we know maybe he was obsessed with sex because he was sexually frustrated, which is why all his theories went back to sex. Jung, his theories might have come from something else, you know, like um, uh, I've been studying general semantics lately, which is kind of like how words create thoughts or, or how abstractions create our assumptions about reality. And um, Korzybski, who's the father of that field, basically goes back to like all of the errors of thinking in politics comes from Aristotle, who was a brilliant guy who contributed so much to thought. But, you know, back in his time, he just didn't know how I mean, nobody knew how the world really worked. So his ideas, which have turned out to somewhat be false, so some mm-hmm. things turned out to be false. The, the way of thinking still affects how we all think, especially in the soft sciences, because there's mm-hmm. no experiments to prove them wrong. And, mm-hmm. and yeah, it was just, yeah, all of this, I think, is important and interesting. Just recognizing that all thoughts come from a person who has a personality and flaws. Right. right. Yeah. And that's something that I've become more accustomed to taking into consideration through through this process that has been Pacifica. Um, and I think that's a lot to, I think that has a lot to do with I mean, if I have to admit, I have to say that I think that's a part of maybe one of the positive elements of, dare I say, I don't want to say it's a positive element of wokeness because I don't want to admit that there's anything positive about wokeness. But I think this idea of really examining the context out of which something emerges. I mean, we're talking about people, so understanding their lives and their influences and the places the environments and cultures that they came from and how that's influenced what they expressed and what they communicated is a very important part of, of really understanding something in its fullest. Um, yeah. yeah, actually on wokeness, cause I think it's interesting. It's like the, uh, the motives of many of the woke imperatives are, are really good, right? Well-being of people, rights, things mm-hmm. like that. Um, and it is important to question previous norms. One of the ironic problems with wokeness, and I would say is also a problem with like third and second wave feminism, fourth wave feminism, which is kind of part of wokeness, is mm-hmm. that as they attack the previous way of thinking, they end up adopting the same style of thinking, right? Like with wokeness, the redefining of terms. It's like, okay, maybe the old terms had the incorrect connotations or like unnatural connotations, but then they create new terms, which are just as, or maybe even more incorrect because they're just trying to replace you know, right. it's like, uh, that's, that's the issue. That's one of the issues with that kind of thinking. Right. I feel like with, with wokeness and I mean, we can go down this conversation pathway if you'd like, but we can also go down other ones. Um, I think with wokeness, it's not even as much of a, it's a redefinition of words, but it's like a, um, like whatever the, it's like de-specifying words, 
Like it's, it's, it's broadening definitions of words to be less nuanced and less discerning. And it's, it's almost yeah, like a more abstract, more abstract. And it's like, it's blurring. It's, it's like they're blurring reality Yeah. in an attempt and, to be able to say, this is the, this is the way reality actually is. And this is what we need to do to fix it. And they're detaching. A lot of the redefinitions are detaching ideas from physical things, right? Like, uh, you know, many traditional ideas can, are are not like, they're not all right. Many of them have their own errors, but at least most of them started with some perception, maybe a primitive perception of of nature. Whereas like this postmodernist woke kind of thinking is like detaching completely from real, like physical reality. Let's make it whatever we want. And that's not, uh, you know, (laughs) that's just not real anymore. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. It's, it's interesting. I I mean, this, this kind of stuff comes up a lot in our, well, I wouldn't say that it does quite as much as it did in the first year because um, our courses are just more specific now. Um, But it's interesting to think about these things from like an archetypal perspective or from a Jungian perspective. And I, I don't know if, have you had any, have you read anything or have you had any conversations with other people about what's happening in our culture from a depth perspective? Uh, not from like a Jungian perspective, if that, if that's what you mean. Yeah. Yeah. I, because I think, um, I mean, it's very interesting to look at from like a collective unconscious point of view, right? Like if, if we are going to go with the view, let's just say for the sake of argument that Jung was right and that human beings are connected in these ways that reach down into our lower levels of our unconscious that form the collective unconscious, which are the, basically the biological patterns and instincts that make humans humans and even deeper animals animals and life life what does what how does that explain what's happening now in our culture from a just in terms of the 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 tension and the and the um the polarity that we're experiencing as a culture right now um and I've had a few conversations with a few colleagues and classmates. And one of the things that, that I've thought about is the idea of the devouring mother archetype. Well, it's not, that's an instantiation of the mother archetype, but um, the overprotecting, overcompassionate mother who destroys her children because she's afraid to let them go out and be in the world and, and experience hurt and be, and, and be harmed by the world. And, and I see that in, I see a lot of that in, in wokeness because so much of it is under this guise of compassion and equality. And, um, you know, this is all for the, the oppressed. This is all for people who have been marginalized and oppressed and we care about them. And, like you said earlier, like it's all under the guise of, of something good. Like we want, we want people to have equal opportunities and we want people to have as level a playing field as possible. But 
there is a point where compassion becomes harmful. And I think we're starting to see that where this issue of big tech censorship is starting to come up. And I mean, it's been present. Um, Things like that, where it's, where it's like, how do we balance managing information around certain issues so that people can be protected from wrong information but can we do that without censoring people from engaging in an honest process of discovering the truth through dialogue? Right. It's like, yeah, I mean, even, even what you just said, protecting people from wrong information, it is a very parent to uh, small child's even the, just like the idea of it, right? Mm-hmm. Like um, an adult wouldn't do that to another adult. Right. In, in like a, in an immediate social situation, right? It's, mm-hmm. it, it is, it is literal infantilization. Um, and I think there's a lot in what you just said, like this, this coddling or this, this kind of like overprotective mothering that the culture does. And it seems to be stronger in certain, I mean, it's very strong in Australia and Canada as mm-hmm. per, uh, yeah, we could see what the government's doing there. Mm-hmm. Um, it seems to be most damaging to men. I mean, we've, we've, I think you and I have talked about this before, but something I've been thinking about more recently is like men our, our psyche needs struggle. Like otherwise it feels useless, right? Like our, our genes would not pass on if we didn't mm. fight something. Um, and we know that testosterone makes effort feel good, right? That's something that's been proven clinically. Um, so this, the more that the, these, you know, greater systems overparent adult males, of course, the more that males feel shitty because they're basically put in a cage where they can't do the one thing they can do or that they're meant to do for their own mental health. I completely agree. Uh, and I think something that I've been thinking about personally for me is, is like, how do I, as an individual who's, who's on this path of, you know, I want to become a therapist and I want to work with men. It's like, how do I, how do I fit into all of this? You know, as a man who is trying to find himself and, be the best version of himself that he can be. What does that look like for me? Um, and in what you were just saying, because I think about that a lot and like our culture, as hard as it is on men, like what we're experiencing as a culture, I think it's all the more reason to that. For me, it makes it feel more urgent that men figure themselves out and and get and kind of go out and do the things that they want to do and be a positive contribution to our greater society um and this is this is how i'm viewing it for myself i, I i'm not yeah. saying this is what people well, are meant to do but it's like i would i would add to that like uh if if we're taking this idea that um woke culture or this like the modern culture over parents the adult, the way that you would overparent maybe a four-year-old, like the young man or the young person kind of has to rebel, has to throw a tantrum or has to have basically the teenage rebellion, which I think in itself is also from over, over parenting, over oppression, mm-hmm. right? Like our biology wants to, certainly when our, our testosterone is being uh, flooded into our system when we're like 13, 14, like we want to go do and use, use that, that function. And anything stopping us is obviously going to make us feel angsty and upset. 
Um, there is like a bit of rebellion in there, which is why I think like movements like Red Pill and some of these kind of more aggressive, like MGTOW, mm-hmm. all of this stuff, you know, it's um, in a way, it's kind of like the teenager or the young boy, like shaking his mm-hmm. fist at mom, like mom's not going to tell me what to do, which maybe is a necessary stage. It's also, you know, I don't think the final stage for men, that's not not also a happy place to end up usually. Mm-hmm. Um, so anyways, yeah. Yeah. Definitely. That's definitely not a, I mean, it's definitely not the final, hopefully it's not the final place we end up, but, but yeah, I mean, I think about it. It's like, you know, if, if our culture is the overprotective mom right now, we've got it. Like the, the fathers, the good father has to come in at some point and be like, hold up. And smack uh, her up. Yeah. <laughs> Not, I mean, I know you mean that as a figure of speech, but um, it's kind of, it's like, it's, it's kind of true. Like the positive masculine has to come in and what would it, what would, what would the positive masculine say in our culture? I think something like it's okay to be hurt and it's okay to suffer because you're stronger than how you feel right now and it's going to be okay something along those lines as opposed yeah. to as opposed to you know the overbearing mom saying you're a victim and you always will be and so i need to protect you for your whole life and that's yeah that's the most important thing have you seen any videos by um i think his name is jason wilson he's got he's like a, a black guy, martial arts teacher. He had some viral videos. He was on Rogan too, I think like six months Mm. ago. He has some viral videos where he's like, uh, you know, he's in a martial arts class teaching like a seven-year-old boy to break a board and the kid's crying and crying and he wants to quit. And, and you know, yeah. yeah. And like he, he validates his feelings. He -hmm. lets them know he could feel what he, he says, he says, cry like a man, which is like such a perfect Mm. synergy of that. And kind of what you're saying, use that. You are, you can feel your feelings, but don't quit on the board. You're stronger mm-hmm. than the board, which mm-hmm. is such a great, um, yeah, such a great message. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think, you know, certainly millennial and younger men seem to be missing that. Mm-hmm. Totally. Totally. Yeah. So actually, I wanna, this is something I wanted to ask you anyway, uh, while we're on the subject, because, uh, you know, I'm expecting a child. I'm actually expecting a daughter. Uh, so, and Congratulations, yes. by the oh, way. Yeah. Thank you. Thanks. That's awesome. Um, I've been thinking about, because I, obviously I've thought about the raising of a boy just because I was a boy and we t- I think mm-hmm. you know, we talk about men's psychology a lot, but I was thinking about like a woman, a young woman. And yesterday I was imagining like, what would it be like if there was a five-year-old girl observing me? Like, how would that affect her as an adult? Right. And how I interact with her mom, you know, how I speak to her, how I flirt with her mom, how I do things around the house. Like, what is that? How is that imprinting this woman that eventually uh, will probably date men and treat them in a certain way based on how me as her first male imprint uh, affects her? Like, Mm -hmm. I I was thinking, you know, because I've been reading various things. uh, I've been actually, uh, well, this is another tangent, but uh, I'm curious if you've been studying things in school or what your thoughts are I'm basically imprinting a child in terms of them having a happy life. Mm -hmm. (laughs) That's a huge question. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And I would, I would guess that you've probably read more recently about all of that than I have. Um, 
I mean, I guess what I might, I might share from what I've learned thus far, there's a lot of, I mean, there's a lot about attachment theory that we've talked about in our coursework. I don't know if you're, if you've read any of that, um, that seems to be, that's, that's kind of like where all arrows point to, um, when it comes to, you know, personality disorders and just general, just anxiety and insecurity in teenage and adulthood. Um, someone having poor attachment patterns or non-ideal attachment as a young child, it's, it's like everything in one way or another points to that as being a very strong factor. So, um, yeah, well, maybe you could go into your opinions. Cause, um, so I have a friend who's, uh, back on the dating scene. Mm-hmm. He's, he's a guy about our age and he was noticing, we've been talking about how he has certain assumptions that were probably programmed into him at a really young age where he just like, just misses positive signals from women or he's like, mm-hmm. they basically things are not ideal. And it's not even what he knows or his social skills. It's like his worldview is kind of not conducive to like dating certain mm-hmm. dating things. Like he's, he makes things harder on himself just from what he can see. Mm-hmm. And we maybe related this back to, to, to youth. Whereas we have another friend who like, has all the best assumptions. Like he just assumes that everything's going to go well and things typically go well with him in his dating life. And there's other things like with, we have imprinting for money, we have imprinting for this and that. And, and, you know, I've been thinking about like, how do you, I mean, it's just an interesting thought to like maybe actively or, or make an effort to imprint a person, a person who hasn't been fucked up yet or hasn't gotten mm-hmm. bad imprints yet to like mm-hmm. actually give them the right imprints, hopefully. Mm-hmm. Well, there's an idea there. There's an idea called like good enough parenting, which is because there's something that's happened in our cohort. Like there's, there's a few moms and there's several people who have children, grown children, but there's people who have pe- babies who were just born and young kids that they're raising right now. And we're going through a lot of material, the material that we've gone through about child development and parenting and family systems. And like, they all become so anxious because they're like, Oh my God, did I fuck up my kids? Like I'm learning about all this stuff. I didn't do that. Like, and they go into panic mode and it's totally understandable because it's very, I mean, there's so much detail and there's so much content that one can read about how to be the best parent. But there's this constant reminder of there's this, the idea of good enough parenting where you, you can make mistakes and you cannot be a perfect parent. You can be an imperfect role model, I think. And it's just, it's, it's, I mean, it carries over. It's, it's in every relationship, right? Like when we make a mistake, like own, it's how we respond to, to the mistake. It's how we, respond to the rupture in the relationship, so to speak, and how we go about repairing it, that makes all the difference. Um, yeah. And so it's having like, that open communication. Yeah. I, I have a, a childhood friend uh, who actually just had a kid as well. Uh, my friend, Jamie, when we were kids, we, we had the same friend group and the parents of our friends were like a, va- a huge range of ages, right? Like some had young parents, some had old parents and mm-hmm. she observed that the the kids with the older parents seemed to be a little bit more unstable and like weird. Uh, and her theory was 
when you have young parents, the young parents are just like, are, are barely getting through the day. Like they just want you to be alive. And then they, they, they leave you alone, which allows you to develop more naturally. Whereas the older parents, their careers established, they have money, they have free time. And they, they basically over parent because they have nothing mm. else to do. And those kids always end up weird. <laughs> and she's like, yeah, that you just have to have kids young. So otherwise you're going to think too much and fuck them up. Yeah. I mean, that's, I, I, I can't, I, I don't know that I can like offer any sort of validity or not to that, but I think, you know, I'm, I'm just trying to think of examples in my own life or people that I know, you know, out of all my college friends, there's one, one of my roommates has him and his wife had two kids shortly after we all graduated and none of our other, none of us, none of the, none of the rest of us have kids. Um, and their kids are, I want to say six and eight right now. And I was just, I just spent time with them on Christmas Eve and they were so, it, it was like a, it, it proved what you just were talking about. It was a good example of like young parents um, really just trying to make sure that they didn't get mortally wounded throughout the day and were able to survive. And these kids were great. Like they were so um, like, they seemed so positive and they were just, they were, they were like old enough to like play on their own and like not have people watch them. But their parents were also not the parents who were going to like, hover over them everywhere. Like we were inside talking and catching up. The kids were outside playing with one of those like rocket things that you stomp on and it flies up in the air. Like they were doing that for two hours and like, we didn't see or hear from them for two hours and it was, it was fine. You know? Um, yeah. Yeah. The one like per what you said about attachment theory, the one parenting belief I have, cause I I've, I mean, I've obviously coached a lot of people on their relationships, mm-hmm. people who have kids, we end up talking about their kids. And I don't, I don't, I don't really have anything that I've experienced with children, obviously, or as a parent. But the one thing I'm sure of is that the best thing you could do as a parent is be secure. Like, I mean, that trumps every technique, yeah. you know, because you'll respond properly. Yeah. And, and a lot of, a lot of imprinting comes from observation, not like, not the technique the parent was doing. Right. Exactly. That's exactly right. And it's modeling. It's, it's not even conscious observation necessarily. And that's why being secure is so important because it's, it's, it's a lot of the communication and imprinting happens on the unconscious level. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. And I, and I think this is especially true with uh, young, with boys. I mean, this maybe is also true with girls, but certainly with boys, like I mentioned this in one of my podcast episodes recently, like this guy, he was, he had to adopt his uh, sister-in-law's kids because she was sick. Um, and like, he was having a really hard time with these teenage boys. And he was like, oh, what do I do? Blah, blah, blah. I didn't, I didn't say this to him, but it was just like, I knew they didn't listen to him. It wasn't what he was doing. It was that he was such a weak man that there's mm-hmm. no way a, a teenage boy would respect him, no matter how nice or how firm he spoke. Like he was just a weak guy who like a teenage boy just won't respect. Whereas if he was just a badass whether he, whether he was nice or not, like they would respect him and they would listen to him. And it's mm-hmm. kind of, yeah, this is just yep. how the, uh, yeah, that, that goes. Yeah. It's really interesting to think about how, like what, even the idea of secure attachment, I mean, it's in complete alignment with this idea of like, and I don't, I'm, I'm sure we've talked about this at some point, but like masculinity being, you know, like the pole of the masculine being like the grounded awareness 
in which the feminine expresses herself as pure love. And that's the, the masculine is the field in which that occurs. And I mean, secure attachment is really just like, is the ability to be like grounded in awareness regardless of the situation. Yeah. Yeah. And actually, you know, having a pregnant wife now, a lot of those, especially the esoteric side of like what like the masculine mm-hmm. should be in response mm-hmm. to the like, you know, David Data or Tantra perspectives, which mm-hmm. you know sometimes seem groundless. They they seem so absolutely undeniably true with a pregnant wife because like what you just said is because of pregnancy, right? Like her the point mm-hmm. of her expressing love is not for like necessarily for a cosmic shakti. It's like when a woman's pregnant, which is what, what, I mean, is the greatest thing a human can do for humanity. She Mm -hmm. has to be protected by something strong, emotionally strong, physically strong. Like she can't defend Mm -hmm. herself. And that's the function of masculinity. Mm -hmm. Um, So anyway, yeah, it's like, you know, it's, it's helping me realize that these abstractions from spirituality Mm -hmm. are really grounded in nature. And like, Mm -hmm. they're absolutely, you know, necessary. Even if you don't decide to have kids, this is where our sexual instincts come from. Mm -hmm. So what has it been like for you? Um, this whole journey. Cause I think the last time we talked, I don't even know if you were dating. Well, I don't even know your wife's name. We haven't talked in that long. Nalaya. Yeah. I mean, well, I met her, well, I, I met her many years before, but we reconnected okay. during COVID. Um, and, uh, yeah, it's been interesting. Um, on a relationship side, like really committing from the beginning I mean, of course, like she's, uh, I've screened her better than any woman I've dated for like traits that uh, I would actually want to get along with. But also there's something about really committing up front that has, I think, smoothed out what could have been, you know, or in the past, in past relationships might've caused rockiness, just like mm-hmm. really giving a woman that security um, has made, yeah, I mean, we have a positive feedback loop between us, like she has no reason to let's say throw tests at me that often because I've really delivered up front. And I think in the other direction, she's done the same, but then like the, the impending fatherhood uh, thing, it really has this, these last six months honestly have been a journey like of like letting go of certain things, letting honestly, letting go of certain dreams, which has been kind of uh, kind of a grieving process. Not even that I wanted those things anymore. That was the irony. Like, some of the things that were my goals at 23, I don't even want anymore, but the fact that I kind of have to give them up, mm-hmm. you know, there's something about like that. Yeah, no, I don't know. It's, there's a lot of things uh, with it, but it's been interesting. What are, what are you, okay. So I have a couple of questions about that. Sure. Um, to, what can you share about that commitment? Like that decision to put that commitment up front? Cause that's a huge thing for the masculine to do. And I think that's something that I've certainly struggled with. And I think that's something that a lot of men struggle with this idea of commitment and voluntarily, I don't want to say, I mean, I'll just say chaining ourselves to someone, but voluntarily like, yeah, I'll say the cynical side first, because that's been part of like, part of like the thing for me, Um, you know, in the same way that a woman makes a sacrifice when she becomes pregnant, like sacrificing or like, yeah, sacrificing her body in a sense and mm. freedoms, you know, a, a man in commitment is is doing something too, like, right? Like mm. our genes, well, I don't know. There's certainly our impulses to keep spreading your seed like that. That is one way to 
uh, reward your genes. Another way is to like make sure your child grows up well, you know, quality over quantity, I guess. And um, I I will say that I've been in my mind ready for commitment the last couple of years or like, you know, just dating around. I have had this feeling of like, okay, this is, this has been fun, but I'm kind of putting energy into something that is not a long-term asset in a sense which in, like sometimes gave me this kind of empty feeling or like that I'm kind of wasting my resources, my, you know, you mean my in relationships, the relationships yeah. you've been in recently. Yeah. Like, like in, in casual relationships, which are fun, which is the thing that I've always wanted to do as a younger man. Mm-hmm. The last couple of years has felt like it's still fun, but like, I, I, I kind of want an asset that I can hold on to rather than re- re- rather than rentals, if you will. The flip side. And I guess this may be a warning to, because I definitely haven't done it perfectly since I kind of made the decision that I, I, I wanted some level of uh, uh, consistency with a person, building something with a person. Prior to this relationship, I did end up applying commitment where I shouldn't have. Like I wasn't the best discerning. And in, in, uh, actually, one of the people I was dating when I met you, I'm not going to, I don't, it's, I don't want to go, go into it, but like I basically had a hammer and I hit a nail that I shouldn't have hit. Like, it was just like, man, fuck. Like I was just kind of like on this I- ideal of like, Oh, I want to commit. I want to start, stop messing around. Mm-hmm. And I just like applied it in a wrong way. And I think actually Joe Rogan t- spoke about this. I think with Ben Shapiro on his podcast of like, it's kind of a dangerous thing to decide you want to get married and then find someone to pick the role. Cause you'll probably end up with someone you'll end up committing to someone you shouldn't have. Mm-hmm. And anyways, I don't know if I'm answering your question. Or I'm just saying random things, but uh, no, no, yeah. makes total sense. I mean, based what I'm hearing is like it was something that you noticed yourself wanting over the past few years. Yeah, and it's just a matter of like implementing it effectively. Because I, I think that there is like you know, as far as stages of male development, uh, there's a I think it's actually important from a man's psyche to have a period of time where he, ex- he has adventures with women, right? Like yeah. it's, it's, it's a very normal, natural thing. It's why men watch porn and play video games. It's like that same yeah. thing, you know? And I actually, I see this in guys who are settling down who haven't had that experience mm-hmm. and it kind of eats at them. of like, ah, I never really played the field. Like, I think it's important for most mm-hmm. guys, but I think also uh, be, well, I'll say this actually a couple of things that I've, in retrospect, recognize as like good ways to discern someone that you should actually um, commit to besides the obvious of someone with your values and you get along with and all that good stuff is when you put in, when you invest your resources, your energy, your time, maybe your money, you get positive feedback. It's a positive return on investment, which I think is something I should have recognized in some previous attempts at commitment, where I, I would put in my energy and I would get less back which is like, ultimately we're both draining each other, right? Mm -hmm. Whether not even to put the other person at fault, maybe we're misaligned um, as opposed to like, you put an energy and you get two X back and you send it back. And then it's just like, you're, you're constantly, you're compounding interest. It's just great. Obviously there's still, you know, no relationship is perfect, but like that to me is the ideal or that, that to me is at least one test for someone worthy of your resources, because Mm -hmm. you are, unless you're, a super alpha male or with, unless you're a billionaire or a billionaire, either in money or in energy or whatever, or awesomeness, you know, uh, you only, you have limited funds with which you can commit to someone. Mm -hmm. Um, so. 
were you, so when you were in this earlier stage of like wanting commitment and like applying it maybe heavy handedly in like earlier relationships, did you have an idea of like what you were expecting as you were doing it? Or was it more of a, like, I want to commit, so I'm just going to do it. And it was a gradual process. Um, Like, wait, I'm not getting back what I feel I should be. I I kind of broke down what I think is my, my, my pathology or my remnants of nice guy stuff with um, Dr. Michael Pariser, who was on my podcast, I think last year. Yeah. Yep. Um, He he kind of analyzed me (laughs) while I was interviewing him, but uh, what I kind of concluded was I was ready for this and I, maybe um what's the word naively advertise this which obviously is a thing that women want of like a man's commitment right it's it's i think yeah i mean a man especially someone my age who typically maybe isn't committing like oh and um i even look back to those that period i seem to have been getting a lot of advertisements of like oh commit to me commit to me and i basically fell for i mean i, I hate to say this cuz it's so uncool to maybe talk shit about your ex but this is this is my perception if i'm honest like i fell for someone who was advertising what i thought i wanted to get what she wanted and i know that sounds really bitter but that that is kind of how it seems looking back like it really wasn't what i was hoping for and it seems like a reflection of just what i was saying i wanted anyway it was confusing i, I don't know i wasn't good at screening basically okay okay and, yeah, and so i was kind of I I, I, I must say, and this may be my warning to any guy who can relate to this. I was vulnerable to someone saying, hey, I'm the person you're looking for. Mm -hmm. Because I had pre-decided in my head, I'm ready for something more serious than just hooking up. Mm -hmm. That's my my warning. If you you take nothing else from my rambling, that's what I want people to hear. Yeah. Well, that's, that's, it's interesting because like, as I've been, I don't have a whole lot of time for for dating in my life right now, but I am trying to, I'm trying to do what I can to stay active in that space. I'm, I'm, I'm single right now. I'm kind of seeing someone, um, we haven't known each other that long, so it's not that serious yet, but, um, it's something that I think about a lot because I too have this feeling of like, I'm ready for something emotionally intimate and serious and, committed. And it's interesting that we're having this conversation because it's something that I'm kind of like, I'm, I'm trying to walk this fine line right now as we speak of like, and it honestly, it feels really good. And I can feel how like for the type of woman that I want, like they're looking for someone who's willing to commit like commitment to at least the women that I'm attracted to or or I want is a really good thing for them. And so I'm, I find myself having conversations with women who are like, you know, I, I, I talk about, you know, generally what I'm looking for in a relationship and, and their eyes light up and like, we have emotional, we have pretty intimate conversations. Um, And in my head, I'm like, fuck, that was that easy. Like, this is, this is really not that hard <laughs> because I know I, I have a better sense of who I am now than I ever did in my life. And I feel good about myself and um, it, that makes everything so much easier, but I have almost, and I've kind of been aware of what you're talking about, this idea of like committing to the wrong person or being a poor screener. Um, mm-hmm. 
Because so, especially if you're advertising, hey, I'm ready for, you know, it's like it's ultimately what a woman's instincts wants. Right. Is is someone to take care of her baby uh, right. who, you know, whether or not she has the baby with you, to, if you want to really get cynical and like look at nature as metal. Um, <laughs> yeah. and, and, you know, if you are advertising that, it's kind of like the. Um, yeah, I mean, yeah, <laughs> you're, you're making yourself uh, a little bit vulnerable to. No, I don't. Even, I don't, don't want to say it like uh, a little bit deception, basically, right? Mm-hmm. It's, uh, it's just it's something mm-hmm. you know that I was a little naive about up until very recently. Yeah, and was it something where you felt that she was changing her behavior or saying or doing things in order to like keep you keep your commitment, so to speak, in, and not really being that case? About? In that case, yeah. Like Mm -hmm. I I can even go back. And again, I know I sound maybe just bitter about an ex and there's truth to that too, but it's like, uh, I kind of shared with her the things I was looking for. And then over the the short term future after that, it was kind of like, just like shown to me. Cause I remember having all of these thoughts, even speaking with one of my buddies about it. It's like something doesn't totally feel right, but it, it, everything is exactly what I said I wanted. So maybe I'm maybe, and I actually thought, you know, I'm trying to self-analyze myself. Am I just like afraid of, is this self-sabotage? Like I'm afraid, like, here's the thing I said I wanted and I'm, I don't want it. Like, ah, uh, maybe, maybe I just to push through this resistance and uh, which is in itself a self-help trap like that. Yeah, yeah. It's just, it's hard. It's with those types of thoughts. Oh yeah. Which is, which relates back to the woke thing of like really wanting to be self-critical and maybe just going too far. It's like, sometimes it's hard to discern, especially mm-hmm. when you fall back on maxims, like you should protect the weak or you should be mm-hmm. self-critical or recognize. Yeah. Things like that. So how do you, like, do you have any advice for, like, how did you get out of that predicament that like that ping pong, because I know exactly what you're talking about. Like, yeah. well, like, am I self-sabotaging or like, am I making, is there validity to the feeling of uncertainty that I have about this relationship that I'm in, even though it's everything that I thought I wanted or am I self-sabotaging? Cause I think that's like a critical juncture that I've experienced multiple times in my life of like, who the fuck am I? Like, what do I really want? Like, I have everything that I thought I wanted, but I still don't feel, doesn't feel quite right. Like, how did you? Yeah, I don't, I don't think I have a definitive answer. Um, but, but I, I mean, in, in retrospect, in hindsight, I could say mm-hmm. that, um, well, I'll just say what my experience was in that situation. It just got to the point where it felt so bad that even though my mind was convinced of something else, I was just like, I can't, I can't fucking do this, you know? Um, I, but I think also just in, in the right relationship, it's normal to have thoughts of like, you know, it's, you know, the, the mind is constantly thinking things. So in that sense, I don't know that I have a a clear answer. Mm -hmm. Um, I do think though, that if, if something doesn't ever feel like a hell, yes, it's, it's one thing to waver. It's one thing to like have a disagreement or a fight and be not so eager about the relationship in that moment. But if you don't have at least some mo like, a general feeling of like, hell yeah, this is like, this is great. That's probably not going to come. Right. Mm-hmm. Like if you've been dating someone for a while and you're, and you're like, yeah, she's okay. You're probably not going to suddenly be madly in love with her or you're mm-hmm. not suddenly or like, you're like, Oh, this thing about our values, like it always gets on my nerves. It's not going to get better. It's just mm-hmm. not, <laughs> you know? So like do yourself both a favor and maybe end it before things get really chaotic. 
Mm -hmm. Yeah. I think the point about like looking backwards, like it just, it, with time that negative feeling accumulates and you, you have to end it at that point. Um, Yeah. And And, and actually something I think is very valuable about red pill philosophy, obviously I have my criticisms, but something very valuable about that is really recognizing the dark side of human nature. I mean, in that world, they point out the dark feminine, if you will. But also, I mean, I mean, I guess that's what matters to a man if he dates women. Mm -hmm. Um, But just recognizing that human nature involves deception. It involves, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, male and female incentives don't always align. Sometimes they do, sometimes they don't. And if you can really have a proper model of how people and women behave, you don't have to be surprised. You don't have to be upset. You don't have to be resentful. You don't have to be, uh, you can limit your hurt, I guess. Mm -hmm. Um, Whereas I think all of my pains and all the, all the resentful red pill guys pains and and all of this stuff comes from like improper modeling. We were conditioned Mm -hmm. by feminism or Disney to believe Mm -hmm. a certain, if we do a, we get B, we get Z and we're like, fuck. Um, So. Mm -hmm. Do you, I mean, I don't know how, I don't know how active you've like, are you still coaching? Are you still doing everything that you've been doing since we last spoke? Like, yeah. coaching the online stuff. I haven't been on social media. I've been like really disconnected from a lot. Yeah. Um, Well, I I am doing that. I've also, I mean, I've, I have a, I've developed a loathing for social media, which is why I don't do YouTube. That's why we're not recording the video. Like I don't do YouTube. I got rid of my Instagram. Um, I don't check into my Facebook group much anymore. Pretty rarely. Although it's like a useful thing, I guess. Um, but yeah, I, I basically simplified and I'm doing the same stuff, coaching. I still have my online courses, okay. um, but I'm trying to uh, not feed the the tech woke machine <laughs> in my small, small, maybe only symbolic way. I salute that. Um, what, I mean, have you noticed anything like in terms of the people that you're working with or just trends as far as like big zoom out like men's personal development like have there been any um like any any people or like influencers that have like become more popular like over the past Um, year or like any kind of new ideas like is is red pill stuff evolving in any meaningful way um i'm not really tapped in to that so much um the reason why like red pill has been on my mind is that I have a friend, I don't know if I mentioned that a few minutes ago, but I have a friend who's who I think red pill is actually very useful for. So I turned him onto it and I've decided to like, look into what I sent him to just to see what it was like. Um, I, so I don't really know. I mean, the last time I was, I mean, I, I listened to Joe Rogan and that's kind of my, my only media I, I, in people that I speak to, which is obviously not representative of the population at all. <clears throat> It does seem, I think this is, it is something I heard from a coach when I started coaching that you end up coaching people in a similar life stage to you, which kind of just makes sense. And uh, I have noticed that maybe partially because all of my clients find me through this podcast now, it's kind of been a, a screening process where I'm no longer coaching guys who just want to pick up girls or anything, which I never really liked anyway. And I'm talking to more people like you and me who are interested in obviously these ideas, otherwise they wouldn't reach out to me. And that's been mm-hmm. cool. Um, so I don't really know. I don't know. I don't know what 23 year olds are into other than the ones who happen to listen to this podcast. 
Mm -hmm. I don't really know what's popular in men's work right now. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Peterson's age seems to has just passed. It seems, but I don't really know. Jordan Peterson, he's making a little bit of a comeback. I think he, he? um, yeah, I've actually, I mean, he had some health issues for a while, but he's seems to be back even better than before he was before he had his health issues. I mean, he's his podcast, he's having some really interesting conversations with unconventional people that aren't necessarily making the podcast circuit, so to speak. He's got some of those guys, but um, he's got a lot of interesting things that he's exploring. And yeah, I mean, it's, it's good to see, it's good to see him back. Honestly. I mean, I've, I've always been a huge admirer of him and it's, it's good to see him back. Um, I don't think he's quite as, I think he's, how do you say? I mean, he's coming out with his new book. I think most of the attention on him, if there is any, it's not like the negative mud throwing that it was mm-hmm. a few years ago. It's not all about like the culture wars necessarily as much. Um, I don't know. Anyway, it's I'm, I'm seeing him in LA in April. I have a meet and greet. I'm going to actually get to oh, talk. Cool. I'm really nice. Nice. I've got to like, I told myself I have to like think of some, I have to plan what I'm going to say. So I don't get up there like a bumbling fool and like make it more on myself. But yeah. yeah. That's cool. Yeah. I, I, um, I, I spoke briefly to a therapist, I think like a year ago who mostly works with men and he was, he had this theory that, or something he noticed in his practice was that when guys first start working with him, they're obsessed with Jordan Peterson And then after like a couple months of therapy, they kind of get bored with Jordan Peterson and then become obsessed with Joe Rogan. And his theory, or at least my interpretation of his theory, is that Jordan Peterson really speaks to the gaps in most of our boyhoods. Like, you know, like kind of like his commanding tone. He's like the good father who's stern. Mm -hmm. But eventually you grow out of that and you're like, okay, I don't need someone to tell me to tell the truth and clean my room anymore. Uh, I kind of just want to hang out with like a, a, a cool older brother who's doing cool shit. Right. Jordan Peterson is really like an, he's kind of an old figure, whether or not, regardless of his age, like he doesn't, right. you don't look at him as someone doing cool shit. He just tells right. you good things. Right. Whereas, Clean yeah. your room, get your shit. Yeah. To yeah. That's it. <laughs> yeah, like, yeah. I mean, it's great advice. And like, I've been really moved by some of his talks about like male pain and stuff. I think that's where uh-huh. he really like hooks a lot of people, but I don't know. Do I want to hang out with him? I don't know. I don't know. I, I haven't been compelled either way. You know. Right. Right. That makes a lot of sense. Cause I can see someone like getting their life together in some, you know, meaningful way to themselves and then being like, okay, like let's party a little bit, like let's have fun. And that's where I can see, you know, someone like Joe yeah. Rogan and like introducing them to psychedelics or like any of that, yeah. any of that stuff. Cause Joe Rogan, he's such an interesting figure for men, even though he doesn't like attach himself or give direct advice so much because of the fact he doesn't give direct advice. He's just doing stuff. And he kind of talks to people kind of taking for granted, obvious advice, which maybe isn't so relatable or useful if you're dealing with an acute problem. But once you've kind of gotten past your acute problem phase, it's actually more fun or more enjoyable to just have the casual, like, yeah, just do hard things. We go hunting, do you know, whatever, you know, it's like, it's actually, yeah, more palatable, I think. Cause I think he does. He really, now that I'm thinking about it, 
his nothing that he says or does really contradicts anything that Peterson says about like Mm -hmm. getting your life together. Like they're very much in alignment on those core things of like do difficult, meaningful things that are good for you, even though they suck. Yeah. They're just different. Like Joe Rogan is like, you know, go crush a kettlebell workout and then like smoke some weed or like do a DMT trip and like blast off into the universe and see what happens. Like, yeah. Um, yeah. It's yeah. Cause like uh, Jordan Peterson is like, he, he comes from a logos perspective where he explain to you why you need something and like explain to you why you're, you've been having troubles, but Joe Rogan kind of takes it for granted. Like he's more of an ethos guy. Like he's just got the character or um, he's secure to go back to that idea. Like to him, it's like, why wouldn't like, I, I, you know, on the podcast, when someone says, oh, I can't lose weight. It's like, why not? Just go to the gym. It's like, he, he, he takes it so for granted that if you're having problems, you might be like, ah, I need more from this. But he just like says it matter of fact, which, yeah. That's a good way to look at it. The logos and the ethos. I think that's a really good way to, to, to describe both of those guys. Yeah. Where someone like um, David Goggins is a pathos guy with the same message. He's like, Stay hard, motherfucker. Like, oh, oh yeah, okay. <laughs> He's not convincing you with your mind. It's just like, oh, I got to put on shoes and run, I guess. Uh, just like doing push-ups <laughs> the whole time. Yeah. 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 Cool, man. Well, it's great to catch up. We should we should chat more often. Um, yeah, man. Yeah, I'm, I'm glad I reached out uh, the other day. I am too. Yeah. How long have we been going? Like an hour and a, yeah. An hour and change. Hour and 15. Yeah. Yeah. But definitely have to have you on. Maybe in a couple semesters when you've learned about the dream stuff, because I'm I'm curious. Yeah. And uh, yeah, I'm yeah, I'm, I'm always curious about what you're thinking about and learning. So this has been fun. Have you completely up. closed the door on any sort of graduate study? Well, actually, well, one of the other kind of factors of choosing not to do that was like I did. I knew I wanted to have kids in the next couple of years, and I just thought it would be challenging. So right now, no. But maybe when my kids are a little older, which will be in a while. So yeah, who knows? 18 years. <laughs> oh, maybe not that long, but like yeah. not, not young kids. I don't think. Yeah. But who knows? Maybe it'll be a breeze. Maybe I'm overestimating uh, how hard it'll be and I'll, I'll be a Pacifica as well. Well, the thing is, is like, it's, it's, it's work and it's energy and it's effort, but it's also for me, at least it's, it's been so like, it's been so nourishing, like it's so energetically, like exciting to explore these ideas that we've talked about. And like, be surrounded by people who also love studying that stuff like professionally. It's like, it's a real, like, it's a real plug-in yeah. from an energetic perspective. Yeah. Actually one of the it? draws and and you, you kind of touched on it early on and remind me of this is that it kind of reminded me of being in a cult in, in, oh, in yeah. the positive sense of like, there there's some tribal elders who know some shit you want to learn yeah. and a bunch of people wanting to learn the same things. And it's just so refreshing that you can just think out loud yeah. With the right like-minded people. Yeah. It's a very positive cult mentality. Cool. Yeah. Uh, and do you still have your coaching uh, website up or I, are, are you open to your clinical no. practice? Is it open to people? Okay. No, everything is I've, yeah, I've stepped away from everything and I'm, I'm trying to like uh, allow myself to go through this process. That is mm-hmm. this program and dedicate all my energy into that. And then, yeah, I, I have I have a lot of ideas and I'm just kind of waiting for the right time to start putting them out. Maybe cool. it might be after I graduate. It might be before, but okay. Yeah, right cool. Well, next time you're on, we'll, we'll have to plug whatever you have going on. For sure. For sure. Cool, man. Yeah, it was great to chat, man. I'm glad we could do this. For sure. All right. Take it easy. 
All right, man. Take care.